0: Welcome to this episode of Healthcare Unfiltered, the Shadi Nabhan podcast. I am your host, Shadi Nabhan, and I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist with interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. Today's podcast is really, should be interesting. Artificial intelligence, machine learning, big data, and healthcare. What more could you ask for? You hear a lot about AI, you hear a lot about big data, you hear a lot about machine learning and the applicability of this into healthcare. And no one is better than Dr. Aziz Nazha from the Cleveland Clinic Foundation to summarize and to simplify a complex topic to me and to the listeners. Aziz has been in the Cleveland Clinic for several years and he's actually transitioning to work for Amazon and to build a healthcare team applying his knowledge and his capabilities to really move the vehicle forward. I have hosted Aziz on the Healthcare Unfiltered to talk about big data analytics and AI. And I really hope you'll enjoy this conversation. We taped this by the way, at the end of 2019. So several weeks ago, it is airing in January, 2021, just for context. I thought it's a good idea to share with you a joke that a friend of mine sent to me that might apply to artificial intelligence, big data and AI. And Aziz will actually enjoy this joke that I will mention. This joke was sent to me by a very dear friend of mine who is also an avid listener. So there's a caller that is calling to order a pizza. And it goes as this, is this Gordon's pizza? Google answers, no, sir, it's Google's pizza. Caller, I must have dialed a wrong number, sorry. No, sir, Google bought Gordon's pizza last month. Okay, I would like to order a pizza. Do you want your usual, sir? My usual, you know me? Google answers, according to our caller ID data sheet, The last 12 times you called, you ordered an extra-large pizza with three three cheeses, sausage, pepperoni, mushrooms, and meatballs on a thick crust. Okay, that's what I want. Google, may I suggest that this time you order a pizza with ricotta, arugula, sun-dried tomatoes, and olives on a whole wheat gluten-free thin crust? Caller, what? I detest vegetables. Google, your cholesterol is not good, sir. How the heck do you know? Google, well, we cross-referenced your home phone number with your medical records. We have the result of your blood tests for the last seven years. Okay, but I do not want your rotten vegetable pizza. I already take medications for my cholesterol. Excuse me, sir, but you have not taken your medication regularly according to our database. You purchased only one box of 30 cholesterol tablets once at Network, four months ago. I bought more from another drugstore. That doesn't show on your credit card statement. I paid in cash, but you did not withdraw enough cash according to your bank statement. I have other sources of cash. That doesn't show on your last tax return unless you bought them using an undeclared income source, which is against the law. What? Google, I'm sorry, sir. We use such information only with the sole intention of helping you. Enough already. I'm sick to death of Google, Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and all the others. I'm going to an island without internet, cable, TV, where there is no cell phone service and no one to watch me or spy on me. I understand, sir but you need to renew your passport first. It expired six weeks ago. And with that, without further ado, hopefully you smiled a little bit, Dr. Aziz Neza on the Healthcare Unfiltered podcast. Well, it's really my pleasure to uh, host an inspiring Oncologist, and uh, I would say someone who has um, a lot of a multifaceted um, healthcare entrepreneur. I'm going to call you Aziz. So uh, Dr. Nazha, who is currently at the Cleveland Clinic, we decided to tackle artificial intelligence, big data, and the applicability of this on health, in healthcare and in oncology. And you know, no one is better than Dr. Nazha to uh, help us with this. Aziz, welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered. It's a pleasure to uh, have you on the show. I've been following you from afar and uh, know a lot of your accomplishments. Uh, very impressed and congratulations on everything you're doing. Can you just share with the listeners uh, who you are, w- what you're doing? And, and, um, and I understand there's a recent transition career-wise. To the extent you can share this with us, just tell us what you'll be doing.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Shadi. It's really a great pleasure and honor to be with you on the show and Thanks for all the listeners for that, so thank you very much for the opportunity. So yeah, I'm um, one of the leukemia doctors at the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, I'm a hematologist, oncologist, specializing in treating patients with leukemia with a special interest in myelosplastic syndromes and acute myeloid leukemia. My career as physician, uh, really caring for uh, leukemia patients, MDS and AML patients, uh, developing clinical trials uh, to hopefully improve uh, the um, patient uh, treatment, the treatment for these patients. I'm also uh, doing some um, preclinical work where we can develop some of uh, you know, the integration of genomics and uh, clinical data to build the clinical decision tools that can improve prognosis, diagnosis, and a treatment selection for patients with leukemia. Uh, I'm also the director of Center for Clinical Artificial Intelligence at the Cleveland Clinic, where we try to build a platform that will enable um, physicians and healthcare providers to take a full advantage of uh, AI technologies in healthcare. In other words, we're trying to build the future of healthcare using uh, AI technologies. And uh, in February uh, 1st, I'll be transitioning my career uh, to be building a healthcare team uh, for data science, machine learning, and AI at Amazon.
0: At Amazon. I ordered a lot from Amazon, let me tell you. So Aziz, <laughs> just so you know, part of your salary at Amazon, me and my wife are paying for it. I just want to make sure you know. And,
1: and my wife too. <laughs> and your wife.
0: So Aziz, you, you mentioned AI a lot in, in what you're saying. And you know, To help listeners understand, what do you mean exactly by artificial intelligence? What are we talking about? Basics.
1: Right, right, right. So so the easiest way to think about artificial intelligence is making machine do or think like a human. So without explicitly programming the machine. So in other words, a human can drive a car. Can I make the machine drive a car without me putting every single line? of code for the machine. So that's kind of the general umbrella if you wish of artificial intelligence. Beneath that there is um, machine learning and machine learning is teaching algorithms or computers with data. And there are two types of machine learning. There are supervised machine learning where we know the answer. So so let's say I have a data set that have clinical and genomic data. I'm trying to build a model to predict uh, response or no response to chemotherapy. So I will have a column that have response or no response to chemotherapy. So this is type of supervised machine learning. And what I will ask the algorithm is to go and find patterns in the data and try to figure the answer whether this is a response or no response. Then I'll hide the answer from the algorithm and ask uh, the algorithm, what do you think based on the patterns in the data? Is this a response or no response? And then you can score the algorithm uh, how many times the algorithm get it right or wrong. So that's supervised learning. There are another type of uh, machine learning. It's unsupervised learning. And unsupervised learning is where we don't know the answer. So we're trying to ask the algorithm to figure out patterns and correlation in the data and come up uh, to us with the answer. A good example for that in, he- in, in healthcare is, for example, RNA-seq clustering. So with a clustering analysis where you have a lot of trans- atomic information, what you're asking the algorithm, can you group this information together in one, two, three groups uh, based on patterns in the data, but you really don't give the algorithm the output of of that data. So that's unsupervised learning. Of course, there is something in between called semi-supervised learning, where it's a little bit of supervised, a little bit of unsupervised. And then beneath that, there is deep learning. And deep learning is a type of machine learning where it's using mathematical modeling of the human brain neurons. So as we think as a human, we have neurons and those neurons are connected to each other. And the way now, for example, I'm talking to you, there are certain neurons in my brain firing up that allow me to actually talk. It's kind of the same thing. It's, it's not really, we not fully understand of course how the human brain work, but it's a kind of a mathematical uh, representation of those neural networks in the brain and you have multiple layers this is why they call it deep neural uh, network but really for 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 us the easiest way to think about machine learning is you have a set of input and this input can be a data tabular data can be an image can be a video can be a text or combination of these and then you have an output And the output is something you try to predict. So you have a classification problem. You're trying to predict, for example, if you have an image, this is a dog or a cat, that's a binary classification, or you have uh, multi-class prediction, for example, dog, cat, giraffe, elephant. And then the other type of prediction is regression. Regression problem is a continuous number. For example, I'm building a model to predict the house prices in New York City. That's a continuous number. And then in between, you have an algorithm. And if this algorithm is a machine learning algorithm, that's a machine learning model. And if this algorithm is a deep learning algorithm, that's a deep learning model.
0: uh, Fascinating. I forgot to ask you though, what got you interested in this? We'll go back to this, but as I listen to you, uh, (laughs) I'm gonna imagine this was not of interest 20 years ago, let's say, what got you to be interested in AI and what kind of training did you have to get to that level of sophistication describing this?
1: Yeah, so I always uh, loved computer. Uh, in fact, I want to do computer science when I graduated from high school, but my parents wouldn't let me. <laughs> they want me to go to medical school. So uh, so I ended up in medical school, but I always loved computers. And, and um, throughout my training, the first thing I realized that um, when I was doing statistical analysis, when I was doing research throughout my residency and, and fellowship, actually it started, this is interesting, um, when I was in residency, I did my residency in a community hospital. I was working on project, uh, research project at the University of Pennsylvania. I didn't have access to statisticians, so I want to do the analysis, but nobody can help me there. So I end up sending and hiring uh, a statistician to do the data for me. That's from outside. Wow. I paid him six hundred dollars, and he got me back medians and <laughs> some ranges. Mm-hmm. He didn't do the analysis. I lost the six hundred dollars. But that was really good experience because then I learned that you know I need to learn how to do all these statistical analysis myself because I'm not gonna be paying all this money or rely on someone else to do the analysis for me. So I got a lot of books and uh, a lot of YouTube videos and online and start doing all these statistical analysis by myself. And then, you know, in 2011, 12, AI was actually taking some big steps, but not really in healthcare. Wasn't really known at that time. But I always interested. I was interested in digital uh, and uh, you know app uh, building and those things. So I start uh, teaching myself how to program in 2013. Start working actually. Yes, on, so you, you,
0: taught your, you taught yourself.
1: Yes, yes, it's, it's a self taught. I think it's 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 much easier today than when you think about it. just because we live in a world well you really have a great access to anything you want. Uh, and everything, I would say almost everything is a free. So you go on YouTube, you just Google Python and you find millions of you, YouTubers trying to teach you Python. You have articles to teach you Python. And really at the end of the day, what you need to do is just allocate the time and put the energy. And that's what I was trying to do at that time. And we start working initially on a program wasn't really program programming called NIME and then start, you know, vading to Python. And um, I remember the first time we submitted a project to ASH, the American Society of Hematology, was in 2015, was machine learning. And I was describing like 10 machine learning models and those things. And that was almost got rejected, like barely made it to a poster. Um, and I think what I learned, and then what, what followed that, I went to the international working group of MDS and went up and, and, and was like trying to explain about machine learning and this is what we're gonna do. And then people were Googling machine learning and you know, you're, you're preaching to the wrong choir and, and people start giving me the look, it's like, you know, who, who allowed this idiot to come here? What is this guy talking about? But I think this taught me one important thing like, I really need to actually first understand the technology, second, be able to explain it to a six-year-old. If I'm able to explain that complex terminology and um, technology to a six-year-old, then I'll fail because you have really to explain it. And if I cannot explain it to that level, honestly, it means that I don't understand it to that level. So, So this is why I start putting more time in, trying to build the model. And I think this is extremely important because building and developing the models allowed us to understand the strength and weakness of each model and how do we fit those models in healthcare? Because it's really completely different healthcare, of course, data than banking data and other industries. And then, you know, once we open the center, I start teaching medical students, residents and fellows how to code. And we start working on all the projects that we have in the center, about 25, 26 projects. And uh, what gives me the pride the most is that all these projects are carried by self-taught medical students, residents, and fellows and some data scientists who actually joined my class.
0: So you didn't need essentially to do like a formal informatics fellowship or, right? I mean, you didn't need to do that.
1: It's, it's amazing. I mean, I don't know what the degree will teach you I mean, you can't have an MBA, but that doesn't mean you, you will become the best entrepreneur, right? Except in fact, for me, except, my, <laughs> except, except, except for you. But, but, but really, seriously, I mean, you, you learn business not by having an MBA. Absolutely. Um, and if you look, um, which is uh, interestingly, if you look at the uh, major contributors in the IT world, the, you know, Steve Jobs, um, you know, uh, uh, Zuckerberg, and, you uh, um, uh, Bill Gates, all of them are drop out. So in another word, you don't really need to have a degree in computer science to become a computer scientist, especially yeah. in this world, right when, that we live in where you have everything available for you. And honestly, everything is a cheap and almost a free. What you really need to do is just to spend the time to learn the technology, which by the way, they don't teach you in this school. Because I, I took courses in Coursera, and I, a lot of courses, and I always drop out of the course. <laughs> I started the course, drop out of the course, because throughout the course, I figured that they teach you a lot of general things, but what you need to do is just to start coding, and by doing that, you're learning as you code.
0: It just fascinates me that you did this on your own, really, kudos to you, it's just uh, amazing. So, um, Let's now go back to, uh, I think you beautifully actually explained AI, machine learning, like you said to a six-year-old like me. <laughs> um, let, now you need, from listening to you, um, to this be successful, you need data, right? You need to have an input of, of data and to analyze it and so forth. We're obviously talking healthcare. Um, where, what data are, are available uh, and, and how does it get input? Is that electronic? Is that manual? And as you're talking about this, maybe you could segue into a privacy issue because I think we hear a lot about this, right? You know, are we really, can you really do that or not? So let's start by asking what type of data are we talking about to input and where are you getting it from and how do you input it if you can?
1: Right. So so. As you know, healthcare data, generally speaking, we're talking about unstructured data. And unstructured data is just the general text that you have in the notes, you know, radiology report, pathology report. Although some of it, you would argue that it's already structured. Structured is like, you know, when you have this Excel file that you have actually labeled everything and structured it. Um, and what we do today, which really still amazed me that in 2020, we still structure data by, by human manual structuring, which, which really, um, there are so many ways that we can actually do semi-structuring by the algorithms and the computer that probably save us a lot of time. So you start with unstructured data or structured data. And the challenge for healthcare data is because it's unstructured, structuring it very difficult and time consuming. There's a lot of missing data in healthcare data. So, you know, um, last time I was reading a a, a note from a a surgeon and it was like a status post, something, it's like one line, that's the whole note. And I swear to God, I was Googling everything in that line. So you would imagine if you give that to an algorithm, how would the algorithm know what this guy is talking about, right? So I think the challenge also, you know, when people talk about natural language processing for healthcare data, it's really difficult. I mean, how many times have both of us read a note from, from a consultant and you try to figure out what the consultant is trying to say, whether there is nothing in the note or there is like this vague language part of it, the legal language, right? This is, it could be MDS, but it could be AML, but you know, it could be this, it could be that, but, and then it becomes hard. Um, so that's one of the difficulty, And I think one of the misunderstandings of a lot of companies that try to invade the healthcare or AI in healthcare is, is that healthcare data is completely different. So this is why structuring it becomes difficult and time consuming. So, so you have two approaches. One approach, which will be the better approach if you have a structured data and then you run that data into the algorithm Um, for that of course you will have a smaller data set.
0: so if if it's unstructured you
1: can structure it first so so you can structure it or you can actually run it unstructured i see so you can actually put the unstructured data we've seen a lot of that I, i worry about that See, see, when we build the model, I think one of the most important part uh, for us, so you, know, you take the data, you run the algorithm, and then you, you have the prediction. Uh, what we do typically, we do very important step, is try to extract the features. In other words, ask the algorithm, what are the important variables that impacted the algorithm decision? Take those variables and rank them from the most important to the least important. Now, this is extremely important step. Because number one, we want to make sure that the variables are clinically relevant. Because there have been a lot of examples and a lot of models that we built where we extracted the clinical variables and they were clinically relevant or they didn't make any sense. So we trashed the model. The other thing why we do this because we wanna make learn something new from the AI system. So, so when you talk about machine learning there is really important aspect of explainable machine learning. Meaning that we try to extract those features and explain it, where in deep learning, when you talk about image, we're not really good at that. So we've seen actually bad examples in healthcare. Um, so for example, there have been an algorithm detecting, for example, melanoma versus normal uh, benign lesion. And you know this is like a nature publication and say, oh, well, this is better or even good or even better than dermatologists. What turns out that the algorithm actually when did, they did heat map, the algorithm was looking at the ruler on these melanoma cells, not at the melanoma cells. So when you have a cancer, you have this ruler trying to measure it. And that's what the algorithm was actually looking at. Another example of that, actually, you know, an algorithm was built on a data set of cancer where they have red dots to actually flag the slide and say, this is cancer. And the algorithm was looking at the red dot, not the cancer cell. So we really need to be careful in healthcare um, with this stuff like, so this is why what I say, you can put unstructured data, but the problem is you don't know then what the algorithm is picking up. So we see examples actually got a lot of attention, which which is the problem when a big paper show up in a nature or big journal, then becomes like a big thing. So we saw example, you know, in a VA data where they took all this data is unstructured, they put it into deep learning algorithm. This is recurrent neural network and try to predict renal failure versus no renal failure. Now with that example, of course, they are trying to predict renal failure 24 or 48 hours before it happens. So the problem with that, when you have all this junk of data going on, you don't know what the algorithm is picking up. Is it because I ordered an ultrasound two days before and this is why, you know, the algorithm that say that this patient is going to go to renal failure, or is it the history? What is the algorithm speaking out there that impact the algorithm decision? So this is why I don't like the approach of putting all the data that you can extract from healthcare record without structuring it and without actually getting some insight from the data.
0: Amazing. Tell me about uh, privacy of data and how, how do you... You know, I mean, I think, you know, there are patients obviously understandable, uh, you know, this is, you know, d- do this consent form and like, just take us through the privacy debacle, I'm gonna call it, not because it's a debacle, but because it's an important part. And I think a listener might say, are you allowed to actually take my CBC information and put it into a computer?
1: Yeah, so so this is a very big topic and an important topic, as you know, um, in, in many levels. And so this is again, what would make healthcare industry and data unique compared to banking and other type of data. And this is why we don't see the same advancement in AI machine learning in healthcare because of some, of some of those things that we talked about of the data, but also the privacy. So the HIPAA, you know, the protection of, of healthcare because you want to be really careful who put, you know, I don't want my data to be released to Google like my healthcare data. I mean, Google knows everything about me. The last thing I want my healthcare data to be <laughs> to be managed by Google, right? So, so there are privacy issues from that standpoint. Uh, the other, I think one of the biggest question today, which I don't think, well, it's answered but not maybe satisfactory, is who owns the data? Is it the hospital? Is it the patient? So by law today, By law, now again, whether you agree or disagree, hospitals own the data, not the patient, because hospitals generated the data. Like you as a physician, an employee in the hospital, you input the data in the medical record, not the patient, right? So by law, hospitals own the data. Then the next question becomes, if hospitals own the data, can hospitals sell that data? And, and, and I think these are difficult unanswered questions and it has to be difficult, right? Again, because there is a lot of privacy. But on the other side of the aisle, if you wish, I would assume, in health, see what, what makes computer scientists great and why it's easy for me, for a guy like me who doesn't have a background in, 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 in programming to be able to take these models because computer scientists share their code and share their data. So what I can do now Honestly, I don't have to code anything. If I know how to copy and paste, I can go on GitHub, get a code that a guy anywhere who, who developed it in big company, copy that code, paste it on my note, and then run the analysis. Unfortunately, in healthcare, we don't have that. So part of sharing, what I say, sharing expertise, sharing data. So we don't share data, of course the major part of it because of the HIPAA, but also people get restricted a lot on their data. Like when you share your data, am I gonna be the first author? Am I gonna be the second author? Am I gonna be the middle author? So it makes the sharing the data difficult. And honestly, the other embarrassing thing, the way we share data today, like we work on multiple international collaboration and we get Excel files that has password on it. And they email us the password in the email. So we're talking about, you know, how do you share healthcare data? So we really need to kind of be more, um, I would say adventurous and more technologically savvy to be able to share this data, structure it better and then uh, analyze it better.
0: I actually don't know whether listeners know that by law hospitals own the data. I've always thought that... um, Maybe it's a combo of both, but uh, you bring up a good point uh, and that's really important. Now, um, is that the only difference? I think you mentioned uh, there's a little bit of a lag uh, in terms of applicability of AI and machine learning in medicine versus other industries. And you also mentioned uh, part of that, maybe HIPAA or privacy laws and other things. Are there other reasons why it lagged? And really to piggyback on that, what changed that made even people want to apply AI in healthcare and medicine? Like, well, what is it? What was the rate limiting step where, where folks said, you know what, maybe AI could help? I mean, what happened?
1: Yeah, so, so a couple of things. I think one of the major hurdles for AI in healthcare is the disconnect that we see between healthcare providers, what we call physicians, you know, pharmacists, any healthcare giver and the computer scientist community and the computer science. You know, we as physicians, for example, understand the clinical problem, understand the clinical questions, but through our training, we really don't, we never trained on machine learning model, right? How do you evaluate the model? How do you evaluate the output of the model? How do you know this is the right algorithm that is used in the model? So for us, it's a little bit, you know, different thing that we not grown up on. On the other hand, for computer scientists, they are excellent and great of putting together the algorithm, building the models, but really don't have the clinical uh, aspect or the clinical utility of the model. So you, you have two people trying to speak different languages which make the conversation difficult. So I think that's one thing. The other, I think biggest problem that we see in healthcare uh, we see it in companies and we see it in, in, in honestly start from this disconnect is that we see model built for just building a model rather than asking important clinical question. See, w- w- when we start building models, we, we changed the way we built models. Like w- when I built mo- those models with my mentees, we start with the first question, all the companies and everybody focus on the algorithm. But really, the first question should be, number one, if, when I'm trying to predict, actually, this algorithm will give you prediction or recommendation. So we start asking the question, if I'm solving this clinical question, is this clinical question important? And if I solve it, would I really change patient outcome or decrease course, cost? You start there. Because we see a lot of algorithms, actually. It's nice. I'll give you an example. We see this a lot of flag about uh, you know diagnosing COVID on CT scan. You see a few companies working in that. Big papers in Cell and Nature. You come to the clinic. Okay, this is fun. You know, it's really fun to have like CT scan. Oh, this is COVID, right? You come to the clinic. This is useless algorithm. I'm not gonna order a CT scan to diagnose COVID where COVID can be number one diagnosed with $15, $25, and I'm gonna order $10,000 a scan to say this is a COVID, right? So so this is why you see it, it, it's an interesting question, clinically irrelevant, especially today. Now in the past, for example, chest X-ray and COVID, right? I put a chest X-ray and tell me this is a COVID positive pneumonia, recognizing it's not highly accurate, but, but that's fine. In the past, at the beginning of the pandemic, this would have been important because some hospital took them about a week to get the COVID test. So if I have the chest X-ray and the chest X-ray tell me potentially this is COVID even if it's wrong, I get an answer. But today this is useless because everybody come to the ED, get a COVID test and that's rapid test 15 minutes. So, so this is why we focus on the problem and answering the problem, would it make a difference? Change outcome, decrease cost. Then the second question is, do we have the data? Do I have the right data that answers that question? Is my data balanced? Is my data unbiased? Is my data representative of the entire patient population? And then the third question, which is the easiest question is which algorithm I need to use? Because the training these models by these algorithms is one or two lines of code.
0: It's fascinating to me uh, listening to you how algorithm is the easiest part. <laughs>
1: It is because you know what? I mean, you, you can automate that. You can, I know you like to, me,
0: to me, I would have thought the
1: algorithm is like the hardest part. Exactly. But that's, I think, what, why we fail in healthcare. Because we really focus a lot of time and energy on the algorithm and, you know, the technology itself. Yeah. But not solving the problem. So I always tell my students, fall in love with the problem, not the solution. Yeah. You can. And, and, and if, if you want to solve a problem, solve the problem. And if you can solve it using linear algebra, use linear algebra. You don't need the most sophisticated machine learning model. So, so that's the other thing is focus on solving the problem.
0: There are so many aspects of medicine, right? There's oncology, hematology, radiology, dermatology, orthopedic surgery, heart surgery. I mean, you name it, right? 700 million specialties are there any particular specialties or areas within medicine where AI has more applicability um, than other specialty, where you re- really feel AI and machine learning could have an impact more than other areas?
1: Yeah, so that's an excellent question. I think the question that in everybody's mind is would AI replace physician? And I think, you as know... As long as they don't replace oncologists, I <laughs> you okay. Yeah. So we want to build like an algorithm oncologist. Actually, I had one rich guy wanted to build uh, an uh, algorithm oncologist. And um, uh, no, but you look, I think this is the stuff that makes AI behind in healthcare. So when you get, for example, Jeff Hinton, is a great computer scientist. This is the, the guy behind deep neural network and other evolution that we have today. In 2016 came out and say medicine because of all this computer vision, right? You put a cat and, and the computer can tell you all this stuff. So he said that medicine should stop training radiologists. In three years, you will not have a job for radiologists. Now this is, again, it's, it's, it's really the fact that we actually need more radiologists today than when we need before. Um, so, so would AI replace physicians? I don't think so, at least in the next 20, 10, 20 years. But what's gonna happen is, and, and I think this is what make us or make some of the company fail. Because it's not about replacing physicians, it's about working with physicians. But is there a specialty
0: within medicine where AI, where physicians are more vulnerable to AI and, you know, um, losing their jobs or whatever. Like in other words, does AI apply more to radiology, dermatology than oncology, cardiology? I mean, I don't know the answer to that.
1: No. So that's the thing. And this is why I think the language has changed now. You cannot, at least with the tools that we have today, replace radiologists. You can make the radiologist's life better. So I don't think it will affect any specialty more like people talk about pathology and radiology. Okay. How about the benefits? How about the benefits of AI? Does it help radiologists more than oncologists?
0: Does it help? Like, does AI have applicability? I'm not talking about the danger. I'm trying to think right. AI has benefits, which we I would like to talk about in a little bit. But do you find more applicability to AI in a particular specialty, not more which specialties it might replace?
1: Yeah, I I think it will be wide variety of specialties that will be touched by that. So I don't, because if you think about it as human plus machine versus human versus machine, then it should impact all the specialty. What we need to think about it is physicians who knows how to understand AI and work with AI systems will be better physician than one who doesn't work with the technology. And I think that's the right way to think about AI in healthcare.
0: Okay. So I want to, I'm a little bit of a big picture kind of guy, just like, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the goals of AI. Like, I mean, every intervention that we actually apply in healthcare, when you give chemotherapy to a patient, your goal is cure or palliation. I mean, you have a goal of why you're giving the treatment what are you guys, I I label you guys because now you're an AI guy, (laughs) what are you trying to achieve? Where where is current conventional medicine failing that I really need AI?
1: Yeah. No, that's excellent. This is why I go back to to the question is find a problem and focus on that problem. And if you solve that problem, you know that you're going to make an so I'll give you an example. So the, the disease I treat, I told you, myelodysplastic syndromes. Now, you know, finding problems in healthcare, we have tons of them. So don't <laughs> worry about that. So that's the easiest part, right? But the way we think about it, we say, okay, MDS is a blood cancer. This blood cancer diagnosed on a bone marrow biopsy. So let's say I take in a sample, they put it on the slide, the pathologists look at that, and they say, okay, there's dysplasia, Look, cells looks funny, this is myelodysplastic syndrome. Okay. The next step is to actually risk stratify the patients. Uh, So you stage, staging the disease. So you take the clinical, uh, the CBC of the patients, the blast percentage on the bone marrow, those the abnormal cells and the chromosomes, you put them on this model and, you know, a simple calculator and give you this patient is lower risk, lower risk of progression, lower risk of progression to acute leukemia and a higher risk higher risk of progression, higher risk of progression to acute leukemia. And that's an all cancer, right? So we treat stage four lung cancer different than stage one lung cancer. And after you do that staging, of course, the treatment algorithms are different. Okay, so for higher risk, we offer transplant, we offer azacitidine, dicitabine, hypomethylating agents. For lower risk, the goal of therapy is really improve quality of life. So you can't put that paradigm and you say, okay, what are the problems here? Well, there are tons of them. So we go to diagnosis, for example, it's, this is being published and we've seen it a lot. Anytime we get a bone marrow biopsy from community oncology or outside, you're talking about uh, 20 to 30% of the time, the diagnosis actually is wrong. So there is discrepancy between uh, the community pathologist and the experienced hematopathologist. Why is that? Because identifying dysplasia on the bone marrow is very difficult. So you need experienced hematopathologists. So think about that. 30% of the patients told that they have MDS, but they don't and vice versa. So how can you improve that? Well, what we have done, we, one of the projects we're working on, we took actually those pathology slides and we use computer vision to distinguish MDS from normal cells. So this is how you tackle the problem. Then we ask a different question. Okay, do I need a bone marrow biopsy to diagnose MDS? Can I diagnose this on peripheral blood? So we put together an international cohort that MDS and other myeloid malignancies. They look exactly like MDS and really hard to differentiate. We took the CBC and differential and next generation sequencing, and we built a machine learning model that can tell you this is MDS versus other myeloid malignancy with 93 to 95% accuracy without doing a bone marrow biopsy. So that goes back to, you know, how do you solve those problems that have a clinical meaning? Because sometimes patients come to us, they don't want to get biopsy.
0: No, no, this is absolutely true. Let me, I mean, I think this is, I like the illustration of a couple of examples, because clearly um, we all know no patient actually would like to get a bombard biopsy if they can. How do you, once you create an algorithm, which you told me it's not the most important thing, but you have the data, you have the Problem and so forth, and let's say you have a proposed solution to that problem based on what you're doing. How do you validate this? Do you and, and where do you like what? Uh, um, how important is the validation piece, and and how do you get how do you execute on the validation?
1: That's extremely important question, Shadi. Um, so that's what missing in a lot of those studies. So the way you build the machine learning models, you have the training validation, and test set. So the training validation set, typically that's your original data set where you split it 80, 20, 80% for training, 20% for validation. And then you try to tweak the model to kind of actually improve the validation. Then you have the test set. And the test set in healthcare should be completely independent cohort from completely different hospital, completely different treatment. And this is why we see a lot of failures in healthcare. We got algorithms of those chest X-ray and CT scan. We apply them on our data and they don't work. So you need that external validation. I'll give you an example why this is important. So we built this personalized prediction model in MDS that gives you survival probability that is specific for a given patient. So you change the clinical variables and the mutation and the survival probability change that is specific for a patient. Now, what we have done, we built the model on data from Cleveland Clinic and Munich Leukemia Laboratory. We validated the model on a completely independent cohort from Moffitt Cancer Center. We also validated the model prior to transplant. We validated the model during the disease course on two paired samples. And then we took data from prospective clinical trial that was negative clinical trial that randomized patients to get ASA versus ASA plus other drugs. And we showed actually, and this is really interesting, that this trial was designed for higher risk MDS. We showed based on our model, about half of those patients will have lower risk, not higher risk. And if we have risk stratified the trial based on our model, potentially the trial could have been positive, not negative trial. So in other words, we're not really... so, So this different level of validation is extremely important in healthcare. To assure the reproducibility of your model.
0: Wow, fascinating! Where is this published? Did you publish this?
1: So that that's still in the review with JCO now. So we'll see. Um, So hopefully soon. Oh
0: no! I mean, just listening to it, it's it's hopefully it will get in. You validated this three times. I mean,
1: (laughs) four times. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's it's, uh, but you know, okay. You've been very generous with your time. I won't take much time. Anything else you think I should have asked or covered? You're the expert here. I'm trying to simplify a tough topic to listeners that I think is very important. Anything I missed that might add more clarity uh, to the topic of AI machine learning in healthcare, in medicine?
1: No, I think you touch on the most important uh, questions. To me, honestly, I think we need a few things for the technology to be successful in healthcare. As we discussed, number one, we really need to focus on important clinical questions that have impact on patient outcome, decreased costs, or both. So we focus on solving those problems. I think it's really also important to start teaching the current generation and the future generation of healthcare providers, especially physicians, medical students and residents, how to understand the technology now, not everybody going to be a programmer. And I, <laughs> I heard that. I tried to, you know, we developed for the medical school, a course, last year it was optional. It's called AI in healthcare to teach medical students how to do Python programming, building machine learning models in healthcare, then deep learning models and talking about emerging technology. We discovered that not everybody will code and that's fine. But you have to understand how the technology works. You have to understand how those models. Once we get that, I think we will able to see way more advancement using the technology in healthcare.
0: That's great. Well, first of all, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for um, taking time of your busy schedule. Congratulations on the new gig. Uh, I wish you all the best of luck. Are you going to miss taking care of patients?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I mean uh, that's what we do. This is what we do. I mean that's what drives us. Right? Is really changing the outcome of the patient. And I, I think by making the transition, probably I'm contributing more to, to yeah. the patient. Um, so, yeah, but definitely I'll miss that.
0: Absolutely. Well, congratulations. Um, your story is amazing how you really taught yourself and, and you have progressed career-wise. It's a testament to your tenacity, your grit, and uh, to what you're doing. So I'll be following your career, as you know, and hopefully we'll get to work together at some point. Congratulations and, uh, and, uh, and good luck.
1: Thank you very much, Shadi. Thanks for the opportunity. And uh, I really appreciate the time that you took with me today. And I hope your listener enjoyed our conversation.
0: Okay, folks, thank you so much for listening. I immensely enjoyed Dr. Nezha's episode and really spending some time with me talking about AI, machine learning, big data. Please find us on all podcast outlets. You can find Healthcare Unfiltered on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, any podcast outlet that you usually use. Please subscribe to the show, rate the show, give the show the number of stars the show deserves, and write a brief review. If you have friends or colleagues, I assume you have some friends and colleagues, please refer them to the show and recommend a couple of episodes that you liked. I truly appreciate your support. Let me know how I'm doing, what suggestions you may have by direct messaging me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan, that's at C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N, or sending me an email to Shadi Nabhan, O-O at Outlook.com, or visiting me on my website, www.ShadiNabhan.com. I appreciate all of the comments and I promise that I will incorporate your suggestions in future episodes. And before I let you go, I would like to leave you with a saying by Mark Twain. There are basically two types of people, people who accomplish things and people who claim to have accomplished things. The first group is less crowded. Until next time, take care.